This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. Hello. I'm Giles Brandreth, and welcome to Rosebud, the podcast where I take famous guests right back to the very beginning, to their first memories and experiences. Are they still the same person looking back? What have they learned from those formative years? And what's their advice for future generations? Hello and welcome to another episode of Rosebud. I've come to the Grosvenor House Hotel in Park Lane in London to meet somebody very special. I think I could fairly describe her as an icon. Well, I can describe her as an icon because she's just, literally just, appeared on a postage stamp for the first time. Yes, the first, I think, girl band to be featured on postage stamps in the United Kingdom are the Spice Girls. And I'm going to be meeting one of them, my favourite known to some as Ginger Spice, known to others as Jerry Halliwell, known to me as Jerry Halliwell Horner. I've known her for a few years, but as a result of our conversation today, I think I'm going to know her even better. She is, of course, a singer. She's a writer. She's a very intriguing person with a remarkable story to tell. Welcome to Rosebud, and here is Jerry Halliwell Horner. Jerry, I want you to begin by telling me what your very first memory is. Cast your mind back. The very first thing you can really remember in your entire life. Okay, so one instantly comes to mind is that I'm in a pram and it's raining and there's one of those plastic covers over the top and the raindrops of, you know, just coming down and my mother pushing. That's what I think I can remember. And also I was quite, um, I would say, a curious and open child. So I remember sort of smiling at people from the, from the pram. And who was your mother? So my mother, she's still alive. She, her name is Ana Marie Hidalgo. She's Spanish. Um, she was born in 1945. She came over here as a nanny. And um, she met my father. She was working in Marble Arch, near Marble Arch. And she met my father. And they only knew each other for seven weeks. And they got married. Wow. Yeah. Who was your father? My father, he's not alive. He was, he was born in 1922. So he was an older father when I was born. Wow, he was quite yeah, a bit older yeah, than that. Yeah, quite an older. So it has a, I have a very different influence to most children of my generation. But he was a second-hand car dealer. But 
okay, I say but, there's nothing wrong in car dealing. But on top of that, he was the, probably the most well-read person I've ever met in my life. He was such a broadsheet reader. He introduced me to books. He, and also jazz, like, and Benny Goodman, so, or Judy Garland. So my whole life experience was different to, I would say, my children, other children of my generation. Born in 1922, yes. your mother born in 1945. Yeah, totally 20, di- 23 years difference between so them. So what did he have that persuaded her to run away with that, him after that, only seven that, that's weeks? That's a very interesting, the one thing, my mother will, I'm not betraying her trust here, but she she openly shared this, but he lied about his age. Oh. <laughs> she didn't find out to the registry office. No. Nope, there you have it. She, I mean, he was a good-looking man, and so she suddenly, when they got in the <gasps> register office, what are you going to do? <sighs> so she realised that he was 10 years older than he said he was. And why did they decide to run away so quickly? I don't know. Well, maybe but, also but, she may have been, a, was she a Catholic? I think she was Catholic, yeah. And in those yeah, days, yes, exactly. you wouldn't sleep together unless you were married. Yeah, exactly. My, my parents ran away together after seven weeks. Did they? Yeah, in the 1930s, but they didn't tell anyone. It was a sort of secret wedding, whereas your parents... No, they just did it. They just got on with it. Yeah, they got on with it. Yeah. And are you the firstborn? No, I am the uh, third from them. So So he was an older man, but he could still do it. Yes, Yes, he was still... still, He was very sort of charismatic. Like, I could have taken him to meet the, the prime minister. He could have a chat. I could take him anywhere. He's why you would have loved him. He's just very, very sort of... Imagine Winston Churchill. He had that sort of, that essence about him, I would say. There you go. But also, he had the gift because he was a car salesman. Yes, very much so. He knew how to persuade people. Yeah. When I was a little girl, another memory, right? So he used to take me, one, to car auctions. So I was always surrounded by cars. And then also he took me to banger racing, and I, but my mother would dress me up and I would come back absolutely like covered in mud. <laughs> Generally, it was Sunday, you know, my Sunday best, and then I'd come back covered in mud. And where did you live as a little girl? Uh, North Watford. You know, it was just like a, it was just like a very moderate little, you know, house. Yeah. Was it a happy childhood? Were you happy people? Um... I think you know it was it was complicated. I would say. What was that? Did they did they get on or not get on? Well, um, they they were okay, but I think there was pressure. I think it was uh, domestic pressure or financial pressure. I think um, my mother was working hard, bringing up three children. She looked. I mean, they ended up getting divorced. Oh. Yeah, they did. When they were married, I think seventeen years, and uh, they divorced which was sad. Um, yes, because you weren't have been very old. No, I wasn't. And how, how yeah, did... I was about nine, can ten. Can you remember when you heard about it? Which of them told you about it? Or did I think my together? mother did. Yeah, so she... So I always... Yeah, so, but I was... Always it was very much... You know, I love my mother, but I was very much daddy's girl mm-hmm. as well. So... Um, and then did you live between them or what happened? No, I would go... I would get... My father moved out and I would go to his house when I was a little bit old, probably about 11, and I would go and clean his flat for him. <laughs> and like... Because do you know what I mean? He did something was, useful. Be useful. Did he have a girlfriend or a second no, wife? No, he didn't. He oh, didn't. so they just split up and he... Yeah, he, he didn't. Oh. Yeah, my mother moved on, but he didn't. But the funny thing was, like, can I... I'm, my middle name is Estelle. Okay, I am named after his girlfriend, 
his previous girlfriend. Oh. I thought that was very understanding of my mother. Very. Maybe like his age, she didn't know at the time. And why? your full name is Geraldine. Geraldine. And I was named after Charlie Chaplin's daughter, Geraldine oh. Chaplin, because if you've seen Dr. Shivago, of course. Oh, uh, Geraldine it. Chaplin, I was named after her. I'm and my, my mother loved that movie. Oh, loved I love her. that movie. Yeah. I love that movie. Julie Christie. Yeah, she's Fantastic. Gorgeous. Emma Sharif. Yes. Tom Courtney. Yeah. I think my mother fancied Omar Sharif. I'm not surprised. Yeah. So, you're a little girl living near Watford. Mm-hmm. And who is your first friend outside I, the family? Outside the family, I would say... Um, I had probably neighbours, you know, across mm-hmm. the road. There was... Um, was there... I think there was a girl called Emma and Lorraine. They lived across the road. I'd forgotten about them, actually. Well, yes. you're remembering them now. I'm remembering them now. Your first school? My first school was called Callaland. Was it a nursery school, a primary school? It was an infant. They called infant. it an Im- infant yeah. school, yeah. But I can... You know, when you still remember that smell mm. for school, it's sort of... There's a comfort in it, and there's something enchanting about it. I don't know what it is, like the wood or the dinner... And because we didn't have a m- lot of money, I used to think, oh, this felt, it almost felt luxurious. And looking back at it, it's not, it wasn't. So you looked forward to the school dinners? I did. What, what, <laughs> what was your favourite food? Which is quite unusual. When, when you were small, what was the favorite, your favourite meal? I, when you were I, to be fair, I didn't, I've never been a big, like, foodie lover. Uh, Maybe it was just like sausage and mash or something. Lovely. Yeah. It's very nice. Yeah. And were you a jolly girl at school? Um, Did you have a group of friends or were you quite a loner? I don't, I wouldn't say I was a massive loner or had a huge group of friends. Okay, so my father, he was probably had a little bit of depression and he, t- and he was in a big car crash, right? And so he struggled with his hip. And to get his attention, he was, he was always behind the broadsheet, Right. But one way of getting his attention when I was a little girl, he loved Shirley Temple. And when I was six years old, he took me to an agent. Right. And he wanted to turn me into that Shirley Temple. Right. But my mother said, no, I don't want to turn her into Julie Garland and she'll end up on drugs, which is quite wise if you think about it. And they let me be in one show or something like that. I knew how to get my father's attention was to perform, right? It was performing. And my mo- and so after dinner, I would perform. And my mother used to say to me, Shelly Bassey Arms, Shelly Bassey Arms, you know, lift your <laughs> arms up like this. Um, and one of my school memories was suddenly in my junior school, I suddenly got a bit of kudos. I put, do you remember that Renee Renato? Save your love, my darling, save your love. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. I think I performed that. Wonderful. <laughs> and like, there was a bit of, ooh, that was in, it gave me kudos, it, it gave me attention. Mm. Does that make sense? Of course, totally. I, so I was using it for that, to give me some sort of positioning. When your father with his Shirley Temple obsession, having given you his girlfriend's name, uh, took you to the agent. What happened? I mean, did you get to the agent? Yeah, I went to the agent. They want to put me on stage. They want to take me on. They did. They did. They, I appeared in a show at the Rudolf Steiner Hall, which is not far from here. Yeah. And, um, in Baker Street. Yes. They now call it the Marylebone Theatre. Okay, there you go. So I performed there with some other children and this agent wanted to, said, oh yeah, she's got it. We've got it, you know, 
but but my mother put a stop to it that was it no after that she let me do that one thing because it was for charity but then after that it was a no and then this agent and my father wanted to put me on you know to put me in you know, on the stage and adverts and all of those things to be Shirley Temple and did you want to do that what in your head do you know what you looking wanting? back if I'm really honest I just wanted to please yeah. I was brought up to please you know whether I wanted to be a performer I don't know. What were your si- want- your siblings are older than you? Yes. And what were their ambitions at that they were time? Much more. My sister was very quiet. Um, and my my brother, he was he was very sort of um, scientific and. But what really I I would say what really struck for me as a kid was I liked the writing. Like I would write like little stories. You know, I can remember sort of writing, we had an outside toilet and I remember sitting on the outside toilet um, waiting for my turn and I wrote a a poem or something outside the toilet Uh, or the gap in the music. You know, when you get a middle eight and it's just an instrumental, Mm -hmm. I would write the the song, the lyrics and the top line melody to go in. So I liked that creativity of it. When you were quite small. Yeah, when I was, yeah, that sort of started to develop. And your secondary school? Okay, so that was really interesting because what happened was I went to Water to Merton, which was a very sort of, uh, it was, you know, it was, I would say, lower income junior school. Water to Merton. Water to Merton. It doesn't exist anymore, Fine. right? And with the vicar's daughter went there as well. And I remember her saying, I'm going to go to girls' grammar, senior school. And I was like, oh, that sounds good. And she went, oh, no, but you've got to be quite something to go there. And I was like, okay. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll give it a go, right? And I had to do an interview and an exam to go. And they didn't pick Deborah. They didn't pick her. They didn't pick the vicar's daughter. They didn't pick the vicar's daughter. But they did pick... They picked me. Yes. And I was, me and one other girl to go to this school. And that's, I would say, I really experienced fish out of water. You know, I felt it. I went to this, the first year, it was this, it was like ladies college, very sort of, and I, and then we had to wear bota and... It really was, so I felt very proud, but equally so very... Blazers and boaters. Blazers and boaters, but I felt quite scared at the mm. same time. And I would say it wasn't, and that I really felt like alone then. And it wasn't until I entered a talent competition, I thought, and sang and did performing, then I suddenly found a way in. Does that mm. make sense? Makes total sense. Were there teachers there that were special for you? Yeah, I, 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 there was one that was quite like grumpy towards me, like that, and, and she said I didn't belong here. But there was a German teacher, Frau Schmidt, and <laughs> who would thought? I think it really depends what te- what subject you like. I had uh, this amazing German teacher, and I love German because of her. Become ich am besten zum Marktplatz bitte. He can speak an ein bisschen Deutsch, and I love German because of it. I did German GCSE. Congratulations! <laughs> it was really, and I did well in it because of her. She well was done. nice and encouraging. Frau Schmidt. Yeah. Das ist gut. <laughs> Danke. Yeah. I like the der, die and das. It's quite complicated German, like in the grammar. But I quite like it. Did you have your first boyfriend at school? No, it was all, all girls. But, okay. Do you know what happens at girls' schools? Yeah. I think the girls become like, even the caretaker suddenly becomes handsome. Do you know what I mean? Or yeah. fascinating. 
uh, <laughs> girls' school. I've relied on that all my life. <laughs> but I don't know. I didn't Did you have, have a one. crush on any of the other girls? No, of the teachers? no, no, not really. Mr. Hall, he was grumpy. So no, <laughs> I did not. No. So what was your first romantic relationship then? How old were you? I think I like had a crush on my brother's friend grants and i think i bought him sweets actually i bought him licorice all sorts i bought you some percy pigs but like i was yeah i liked him but obviously he was like he was five years older than oh, me so that wasn't uh, an option i, I can't remember it was my first um i was real late starting absolutely everything i was very undeveloped girl i'm um, very small for my age like when i was i would say because i remember going on a german exchange around 14 and everyone thought I was probably 10 so all the other girls at 14 are you know going to go and try and get into bars and things like that not me I had to stand outside which was like you know it serves you well when you're later looking younger for your age but um so I didn't I was complete late starter and also I had that 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 feeling of like dreams before dates 100 percent explain well I looked at my life and I just thought, you know what? I looked, I've been watching American movies all my life and they taught me that anything is possible. You're allowed to live your dream and it doesn't matter where you're from, you're allowed to have a dream and go for it. And, and so I thought, yeah, I'm going to go for it. it. Like American television brought me up. The A-Team, Charlie's Angels, those were the... So I sort of had this optimism this optimism of, you know, of Rocky, that you're allowed to go for it, get up and try again. So I had sort of British quirkiness of my father that read, you know, all sorts, but then I had this mix with Americanism. It was really interesting. You're at school, you do GCSEs. Yes. And so you're then Then, about 16, 17. What do you then decide to do? See, I think these are very interesting years because having the courage to, to, to know what you want to do right in life and to really own it is quite tricky sometimes so I'm at girls grammar and then I'm thinking what do I do and so I copied my sister and she studied travel and tourism I've got no interest in travel and tourism but I tried it for about a few weeks and went this is so not me and then I tried I think marketing uh, hotel marketing I went this is not me and then I ended up studying uh Stanislavski theatre Right. And I, this was me. And that's when I studied Hamlet. And I went to... So you're 16 now. You've no, I'm so 16, 17. And you yeah. left school. And yeah. You try these jobs out. Yeah. And the Stanislavski, where, is, where are you learning yeah, this? Yeah, I'm learning this at a college. And In Watford? Uh, yes. And th- that was really, really interesting. And I did that for about a year. And... Um, and I d- were you any good, do you think? Well... Have a, have a look at my... You can see me in a movie, uh, Gran Turismo. It's out. It's a number one movie. And you can, you can judge my acting in that. Well, that's your present acting. Yeah, my I present. I mean, were you good when you were 17? I, I don't know. I was afraid, probably, mm. of how to... What I liked about Stanislavski, and you probably know this more than most, that Stanislavski is about realism, but it gives you the tools to access... Um, to how to be something rather than to act. Yeah. 
Right. Yes, and, he was Russian, wasn't he? Yeah, he was Part Russian. Part of the Moscow Art Theatre. Yeah, and the, the, the seagull, I think it was. I can't remember. By but, Chekhov. It's sort of talking yeah. about the 1880s, yeah, 1890s, yeah, that 1900, sort of, yeah. that sort of time. And um, so I was sort of looking at that, of how you sort of use, how do you access that and pick it up like paint to, to be that, to be it? And that's a skill set. So I maybe didn't have the emotional maturity to suddenly like access it, but I had an instinctive curiosity of want for it, right? But then I put it down. Let's put it down for a bit. And so there was there was this sort of I don't know uh, a multitude of options. And you think, okay, what is me? I'm still finding that out. And I think it's sort of very vulnerable era of one's life. You was, I, I think that time, I would say you're a toddler adult. Do you know what I mean? You've got to, you almost need, still need those stabilizers on the bike. And were you happy-ish or uh, a bit unhappy? I think I was feeling, I remember um, feeling quite lonely. I didn't quite fit in. I didn't, f- it, I, I felt like I'm still finding myself. I think I was a late bloomer and then I went back to study English literature and that's when I started getting um, affirmation and I think I was around 1920. And this was at a college by now? Yeah going to a different college and I found confidence in writing and I was I was slaying it I was getting A's for all my essays I was studying Sons and Lovers and Hamlet and I remember going to see um, uh, Hamlet's at the Donmar Warehouse in Covent Garden. And I saw Alan Cummings right there. And he was like spitting and crying. Like, and I was like absolutely floored watching this performance. And the funny thing was, cut to how many years later, five let's say five years later, um, I I helped write Spice World, the the script, and help produce it. So on the casting, and I went, Let's put him in it. I cast <laughs> Alan Cummings, the, the Shakespearean actor, because I saw him in the theatre then. Cut to four years later, I went, put him in it. Do you want another memory? Yes, okay. very much so. This is a defining moment, right? So I was 20, I think I was just 21, and I was, stu- again, studying the, the, the Shakespeare, Hamlet. And what's Hamlet about? It's about death, okay? And I was sitting in a classroom... And it was autumn. And suddenly I see like someone standing by the door. Um, it's my brother. And, and I get pulled out of class. And I'm told my dad has died. It was horrible. And it was like, it was the most shocking thing. And, and it almost like time froze. My emotional development at that moment just froze. And I was reading Hamlet. And you think, what happens to him? He gets paralyzed, paralysis of thinking, overthinking. And I caught the same thing. I was studying it and I started going, oh my God, I was grieving, but I sort of found it so painful. I sort of got stuck. I procrastinated. I got stuck. If if you think about Hamlet, that's Mm -hmm. what happens to him. And I really identify with that, that, that moment. But having said that, you'll know this as a writer, everything is copy, everything. And so cut to how many years later, so 30 years later, well, it was less than that, but um, let's say about 20, because it took me seven years to write Rosie Frost, right? I use that scene, because it took me seven years, I use that, that moment in the opening chapter of Rosie Frost, 
when she she's an orphan but she loses her mother but i pull her out of she's in a class and she gets pulled out i used it oh. so you know about defining moments yeah. i used it turn that poop to fertilizer that's what i think that's that's the motto of the day yeah. turn that poop to fertilizer Hello, Giles here, and I'm recording this segment at the J.W. Marriott Grosvenor House Hotel on London's Park Lane. I'm delighted to tell you they're the generous sponsors of this series of Rosebud. Regular Rosebud listeners will know that I spend a lot of time at the hotel, and when I'm here, I like to think of the many famous guests, more illustrious than me even, who've walked these halls before me. There's Walt Disney and his wife Lillian, who spent their honeymoon here in 1935. Or the greatest boxing champion of them all, Muhammad Ali, who stayed here in 1978. The Beatles played one of their earliest gigs in London at the Grosvenor House in 1963, and Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton are among the many Hollywood icons who have been guests at the hotel. When you book your stay at the J.W. Marriott Grosvenor House Hotel, you'll be part of this rich tradition of famous hotel guests, and I'm sure the staff will treat you like a movie star. We're delighted that the J.W. Marriott Grosvenor House Hotel are supporting this series of Rosebud. Do make sure you book with them next time you want a five-star experience in London Town. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Fair Health for Older Adults understands that healthcare decisions are life-changing decisions. Strategic decisions, shared decisions. FairHealthForOlderAdults.org provides financial and educational information for older adults and caregivers planning for a treatment, procedure, or ongoing condition. Fair Health for Older Adults, healthy decisions for healthy aging. Explore FairHealthOlderAdults.org today. Campaign generously funded by the John A. Hartford Foundation. So when you're this young person, having been a slow developer, you're then very beautiful. You oh, have a time you. when you're a glamour model for a, a while. Yeah, that was, uh, when what, was that? Well, that was when I was studying Hamlet. It was basically to support um, myself when I was studying. And so I was actually, I wasn't really a model. I'm, I'm only five foot two, but I look tall in, on pictures. And um, so I, you know, so I, I had a, quite a curvy figure and so someone said you can earn quite a lot of money if you don't mind so it would be like it's it's like if you I, I did I only got two jobs really so if you it's basically if you can be a glam model it means you don't mind showing your skin it could be for like um 
a leg a bum <gasps> cream or so, or like a, a leg cream but I did something quite nice it was like for Catherine Hamnett you know the designer I so I did a calendar for her so I was like a 50s pin up for her calendar that some people find it quite I mean some people find the, the, the page three thing quite fun I've known people who did I actually thought it was quite it fun was to okay. do, or maybe yeah. they say that yeah I don't know didn't. for me it was alright did you hate it or? no I didn't I didn't really do that I wasn't successful at that at all oh. do you know what I mean so um, but people treated you well you weren't Oh, it was fine. Of. It was fine. It, was, it is what it is. But I tell you what, I was that during my when I was studying co- co- at college, the Hamlet and Sons and Lovers. At the weekend, I would go to Turkey to be a game show hostess, and I signed my first autograph in Turkey. Um, it was called Seshbakalam, which means let, I think it means let's make a deal or let's go for it. And so it's a bit like The Price Is Right. So I would stand in like this evening dress and buy a fridge and get like going did I you can win this so I'd go and shoot a load of those over the weekend I mean, over the weekend go, then go back to school uh, to college on so the Monday take a cheap flight on a Friday yeah be glamorous on the TV show at the weekend and yeah. then come back yeah. and go back to college yeah that's fantastic so that was your TV debut that was yeah and that I signed my first autograph they'd, they'd stand outside but I sort of was plotting and what were you calling yourself then it, it was Jerry Halliwell yeah, yeah. And that must be worth quite a lot. An early Jerry Halliwell autograph. <laughs> I don't know about that. Frequently done in Turkey. Yeah. So but I was sort of already thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to be a, a pop star. I was already, you know, saving up money to go into the studio writing my own songs. Ah. What I, was the first song you wrote? I wrote two songs. One song was co- I wrote called Live to Love. Love to live. It was just like some random. No, but it's a good title. <laughs> yeah, live to love. Love, love to, to live. live. I yeah. love it. Um, I and uh, the funny thing was, okay, so I'd spent, I'd, I booked the studio. I got all the money. Like, I think at the time it's going to cost me three hundred pounds, a lot of money, right? So I've got my song that I've written and a cover. I'm going to go in, and the night before, I get a cold. Right. So what's going to happen? I'm going to sound nasal. I'm like, oh no. <sighs> And somebody told me what you need to do is eat cloves of garlic with honey, eat it, right? And swallow it raw. Well, if you've spent £300 for a studio yeah. and it means something, what are you going to do? I did it. And it did work. It works. So I would say, in my experience, if you ever feel a little bit run down with a cold, raw garlic and honey. And honey. Combination. Manuka, yeah, it's like a marmalade. Oh, I know manuka honey. I love yeah. that. It works. Oh, God. Yeah. So here you are, and you're now in your early 20s. Yeah. You've, you're doing the drama. You're earning money in all sorts of different ways as best you can. You're appearing on Turkish television. How does your... Do you have a... By now, you've moved out of home. You're no longer with your mum. You've got a flat? Um, What's your first flat? What's your first home away from home? Can you picture the flat? Um, I think maybe I'd had bed sits, but the real home, that I, the one I remember actually is the one in what, it was actually quite nice. Um, it was like a little studio flat, but I think I had a, the, uh, I think I had a mattress on the floor, but it still was nice. Do you know what I mean? I made the best of it, of what it was. And that was around when I was studying Hamlet. That's the one that sticks out. During that time, I remember like Hamlet, I felt quite depressed. I felt really, I was, looking back, I was just sad, but I didn't know how to sort of process my feelings. Did you have a boyfriend or girlfriend or somebody you were sharing any of these concerns with, or you just on your I own? I think I had had a boyfriend, I can't remember which, but I realised, 
I look, it wasn't, it wasn't right. And I thought to myself, I'm not going to be able to succeed and carry on in my life with my ambition if I stay with you. That's what I went through my mind. That, did, you that, tell, did you tell him that? It's quite tough. That's quite, quite tough. Um, did you say that to him? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> you just disappeared. Yeah. No, I just felt like dreams before dates. That's quite ambitious. But you know, I was thinking about ambition. Ambition doesn't have to be a dirty word. No. It's a good thing. Um, I just felt compelled. You thought you were going somewhere. Yeah, I had a feeling. And so it proved. Yeah. And what changed this? How how did the gear change happen? Uh, one thing was I saw an advert in the newspaper. It wasn't for the Spice Girls. It was for a girl band, right? Yeah. And, and my father died, right? So I'm bereft, mm -hmm. okay? And um, I put it on my mirror on my dressing table, okay? This little advert. And I went to see my grandmother in the Pyrenees. Remember, I'm Spanish, yes. right? And I didn't know that when you go skiing, and I hadn't been skiing before, that you meant to put sunscreen on, right? And my face swelled up like an apple. Oh. I mean, blistering, mm. like massive, like a red fat apple, right? It looked horrific. So I looked so bad. I sat there and I was meant to go to that audition, but I thought I'm not going, no way, forget it, right? And so I sat at home. I remember on that couch and probably ate biscuits and feeling quite depressed and I thought, okay, whatever, just leave it. And then a few months later, for some reason, I'd still got that advert. And I rang them up and went, hey, are you still looking for, you know, for singers? And they said, we're down to the last 14. Come. And so oh. I went. So you cut straight through. I cut. So I've always been a cue jumper. Wonderful. <laughs> you got to the final 14. <laughs> it was something like that, yeah. And this was? That, well, we didn't, it was, still we, wasn't named the Spice Girls. No, it, it was, was just a, named a, a, girl, a, girl a, girl group, a girl group. And you went to the audition. This yeah. was your first audition of yeah. that kind. Yeah. And what did they make you do? We just had to pick up a dance routine and, and sing a bit. Now, here's the thing. So I sang my song. Um, what was your song? Your, the one uh, you'd written? Or, yeah. No, it was a song that I sang when I was at a girl's grammar that had sort of got me a bit of notoriety. How's it go? He goes, I want to be a nightclub queen, the most famous ever seen. Be soft and right and fruity and envy for my beauty. I want to be a nightclub queen. I'm not surprised you got the job. Well done. <laughs> Next. Very good. So they saw you. Yeah, they got that. Yeah. And then it's funny how I can still remember that from, I think I was like 12 when I sang that song. And then, but with the dance routine, so I wasn't a trained dancer. I could, got a few moves of my own freestyle, but I'm not trained. So that means that's a technique to pick it up. Mm. And so everyone else was quite trained. And I was like, oh my God. And, um, but I think I sort of made up for it in the enthusiasm. And um, I was quite quirky in my little hot pants. And, and they said, come back. And so and then it narrowed it down to like six or five. Yeah. So, but again, we're still not the group that you know of us today. When did you first meet as a group? When did you first realize this is going to happen? They're going to make us into a group? I always, uh, we, they put us in a house. 
you know, and I met there. I and then I suddenly realised because I had my own ambition to be a solo artist, yeah. but I really enjoyed being with other girls. I like company of others. I really, I think human beings we are designed to be pack animals. We meant we need each other. People need people. I really, and it's so much more fun. Mm. I actually loved that c- camaraderie. And I, looking back, I think I was looking for family. You know, I was just bereft and grieving. I wanted to throw myself into something that I could feel that you know, sort of companionship. And I remember, you know, meeting the other girls. I'd already met Victoria at an audition, Tank Girl audition. But a tango audition? Tank. A tank, tank audition. What is ta- a tank audition? Tank Girl. You know, there was a cartoon called Tank Girl and they were going to make a movie. Oh. I'd already, she was in the lineup with me. This was the five that we were, it wasn't Baby Spy, it wasn't Emma. Yeah. It was this other girl, Michelle, her name was. And then it was Melanie. Yeah. see Victoria and me and we were in a house and I thought this is really good this is really really good and what was the first time you realised this Spice Girls thing was going to work was going to be something that would be I don't know I just I really liked what we stood for do you know what I mean I really liked what we stood for and I was in a, a an, an aerobics class and um, I sometimes get my best ideas when we're doing something when you're doing something else and I remember doing like the grapevine like something like that. I thought, what about spice? What about that as a name? Because we're all so individual. Mm. And I ran back to tell the other girls, I like colouring in. I like creating. And so I, you came up with a name. Yeah. And I ran back up the ran back to the house and looked called up the stairs. And I remember looking at the girls' faces and going, What about spice? And they all went, Yeah. I hope you get an extra ten percent for that. No, it's all sh- you know, and it was. I just like the camaraderie. Mm. I love the sharing. You know, we all can f- fill in each other's blanks. Do you know what I mean? The bits and bobs. So I might be able to contribute one thing, and someone else contributes another. And that's. I, I think that's a really nice thing to do. And and that's why we just left the management and said, let's just do it ourselves. And did it take off immediately? No, it didn't. It took about. I think it was about another year before we found the right management, but we were always writing our own songs. So it was, there was sort of like that, I would say, in the hall period. Yeah. And w- when it all began, who was the first remarkable person you met? The first really famous person or interesting person you met as a result of this? It's funny that you say about meeting your, you know, your the people that you've seen on television. Um, but famously, you met Nelson Mandela. I did, yeah. And how did that come about and what was he like? Do you know what? You know how you visualise heaven? Okay. I remember going to South Africa and life was quite full on at that moment. But I remember going up to his house and just the grass being immaculately cut green. And it just felt, it felt like a piece of heaven. It's like... I felt like I was in the presence of greatness, not just because he was great, but his presence. Does that make sense? It was, he had spiritually evolved. Now think about this. If, and I'd read his book, The Long Walk to Freedom. He, had, he comes from um, a background of violence. That's the truth of it. If you read it, violence, the way he tried to advocate change. Then he was put in prison. And he could have come out of that prison because he was in there how many, over 20 years. He could have come out angry and wanting revenge, but he didn't. He came out with forgiveness. He came out, it's almost, he had turned all of that 
pain into something profoundly wonderful and spiritual. I mean, that is very, very inspiring. He could bring peace, you know, to that area that was so, but it was by example. The reason why he had the ability to do it was, was example. He, he, he had walked that, that path. He wasn't just some do-gooder. He had walked a treacherous path. If you read his book, you're like, oh my goodness. Have you read it? I have read it. Yeah. And indeed, so you understand what I'm talking about? Yeah, I do. I understand totally what you're talking about. So therefore, he has the right, the example. He's not promoting it. He's being it. The late Queen Elizabeth II, yeah. uh, she very rarely spoke about, she met everybody you could imagine, and every world leader. And she never chose a favourite of any kind. Yeah. So very careful. The only exception she made was in the case of Nelson Mandela because she did feel he was exceptional. And for the same reason as you were saying, 27 years and he emerges without rancor. He is what he is. And she admired that so much. That's amazing. He didn't complain. He just uh, got on with it. Also, of course, we know that the king took a fancy to you. Well, yeah. I, I mean, he was Prince Charles then. Yeah, he How, was, when was that encounter? That, that first encounter? Yeah, that was at, um, it was a royal variety. Um... And I, um, you know, I've always, I don't know why, right, but I've always felt, treat everybody equally. Don't we all want to just feel a fundamental feeling of connective love, humour, whatever it is, whether you are the duchess or the dustman, the postman or the president, it doesn't matter who you are. You all want to feel human and loved. And and I've always just, and I don't know why, I've always had that feeling. And um, just cut through bureaucracy, cut through, you know, status or, and so when I met, I think I'd watched that Marilyn Monroe movie that in my mind, maybe that, the, the famous film. Yeah. With Laurence Olivier. Laurence Olivier, the prince. Yeah, and the, the princess and the showgirl. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the, the prince and the showgirl. The prince and the showgirl. I, you know, I, I maybe I've watched a lot of mm. like 1950 mm. film, yeah. 50s black and white movies, and that's my dad, you know. And, but I've got a sense of humor about everything. Do you know what I mean? We all want to feel human. Yeah. And um, so I was just, uh, actually, my mother. And again, she's Spanish. She's very affectionate and very tactile. And so when I meet him, I'm like, hello. You know, it's, very, it's almost like, like being my mom. Hello, how are you? And she pats everybody's bottom. She does it to everyone. You know, she gives big hugs and kisses and smacks their bottom. You know, obviously it's not appropriate. These days, we'd all get no, in trouble. Isn't. I think if the king started that, he'd be arrested, poor man. <laughs> but it's okay for your mother. Uh, I wouldn't mind uh, smacking me on the bottom. She does it to everyone. So I, I just, like, I'm a very affectionate person. Yeah. yeah. So you met the king, you smacked him on the bottom, you gave him a kiss, and the rest is history. There you go. But he's a nice guy, isn't he's, he? Yeah, and do you know what was the other thing that I feel about the king? Is that there was a time when people... I think people criticise what they don't understand. And I remember him talking about organic and plants and things like that. And it, 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 there was a slight ridicule to it. Yeah. And I actually thought, you're ahead of the game. He's proved it. 
And also the other thing which I absolutely really admire him, think about this, the average 30-year-old, what are they doing? You know, whether you're 28 year old, let's say 28 years old, what is the average 28 year old? They're going out partying, blah, blah, blah. He started the Prince's Trust. He's helped over a million different people that are falling off the edge. So the more I looked into it, I was like, oh my God, this person is amazing. Thank you so much for listening to Rosebud. Thank you too for spreading the word about it. I'm going to spread the word now about another new podcast that I think might intrigue you. It's called The Queen's Reading Room Podcast. And it comes from The Queen's Reading Room, which is a kind of hub for people who love books and want to know more about books, set up originally by Queen Camilla. And this is a new weekly podcast really for people who love books and those who wished maybe they loved literature a little bit more. It's really to inspire you by the the, the bookish confessions of global literary heroes. So each week, uh, an actor, an author, a personality, somebody intriguing, people even who've appeared on Rosebud will invite the listener into their own personal reading room where they'll share with us the books they simply couldn't live without. So, who does Sir Ian Rankin read when, when he's feeling a bit low? Who picks him up? Where does David Baddiel stash his fiction? Which masterpiece has Anne Patchett given up on again and again? And each week, too, Queen Camilla herself uh, pops up and reveals some of her own all-time favourite reads. So that's the Queen's Reading Room podcast. If you like Rosebud, I think you'll enjoy that, too. This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. Ladies, your workouts are about to get an upgrade. The new Inspire leggings by Kalia are exactly what you want when it comes to activewear. It's their most versatile collection yet. They look good, feel good, and stay put. Using Lycra Adaptive Fiber, it compresses and molds to the body like a second skin. And it's unbelievably stretchy, so you can move however you want. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. What was the first time you realised this isn't going to last forever with the Spice Girls? When was it, you thought? Because you, there were several years when I imagine you were just on a roll. It just yeah. kept rolling I and getting bigger and bigger. I think nothing lasts forever. Look at, I mean, I think Freddie, Freddie Mercury taught us that, didn't he? You know, and... But or, did you know that at the time or did you feel... I don't know. I think when you're younger, you may, perhaps you don't think ahead as much. But... Um, different I think everything has its moment but did you think this isn't going to last and what am I going to do next did that cross your mind uh, potentially but um, you know I went on to go solo and looking back it was important me to to do that for my own self-worth I'm really glad I did well looking back I really love being in the studio you know, I, you know, whether it was with the girls or by myself, I, I'm, a, I'm a creative. I like making things. Also, you like achieving things. I, you've, yeah. Obviously, you've set out to achieve certain things and you've done yeah. it. Yeah. You wanted to be a performer. You've yeah. been a performer. You clearly wanted to be an actress and you're continuing that. And that's clearly going to be something that yeah. we're going to see more of. I yeah. get that feeling, yeah. yes? Yes. yes. I th- yeah. I, got, I just did the, that movie. And What's it, it called again? Gran Turismo. I couldn't Gran talk Turismo. about. I couldn't talk about it before because of the SAG strike, and it went to number one. Well done. And and I had to do it with. It was Jaimon Huson. It was Orlando Bloom. 
um, David Harbour from Stranger Things. And what's your part? What do you do? I play the mother. The of, mother? I play the mother. You're not playing of any, mothers already. Yeah, I've played mother. I'm, I'm at that age. But I, I ugly cry in it. I, so it was a it was a fantastic opportunity and, you know, it, it was well received. So And now you're a writer as well. Yes. And it's obviously taken a long time, Rosie yes. Frost. It took seven years. Yes. But you're very pleased with it. And the world seems to be pleased with it. Yeah, so it went to its New York bestseller. Yay. <laughs> I can't believe it. Is it been better to be a New York Times bestseller with your book or being a Spice Girl in the top ten? That's such a difficult question. I think at the time, they were their best of, yeah. of its time. Because someone was asking me the other day, what's your proudest moment? And I was like, "My the different things touch your heart. Like, I watched my daughter open her GCSE results and watching her face flood with joy and appreciation. My heart was just, I felt so proud. Or when I saw my husband win a world championship, right? I felt so proud. And I think I've been... This is because he's into Formula One. He's, this is yeah, he's a team principal. Red Bull Racing. Okay. Very good. Yeah, they're very good. But even I've, I've, I've heard of them. Yeah, yeah, even you've heard of them. And I've watched the struggle. And so when I saw him win, it was, it was the most fantastic feeling. And do you know what it made me realise? And I think it wasn't until I've had children and then, you know, having a husband and being in a relationship that it's, it's taught me to be selfless. Judge it or not, I think, you know, we can all be quite selfish, you know, think about our own self, our own ambitions, our own, you know, which I still have. And I think that's important Dude. to have. But to be so joyful for others. When I watched my, my daughter see her face, I was like, oh, my God, I'm so happy for you. Or my husband, I'm so happy for you. Is this how you're going to make your marriage work? <laughs> well, given that your parents' marriage ultimately failed, and they're clearly two nice people. Yeah. How are you going to, because you clearly are an ambitious person, you want to achieve, and I think you've set out, you've set out to make this marriage work. Yeah, it? that's an ambition, that's yeah. one of my ambitions. It's, it's a goal. It's what are you going to do differently from what your parents did to make this marriage work? I could, that, maybe you could help, well, that's an interesting question. I mean, what do you well, suggest? When, when you said about being selfish, I remember a couple of years ago, I wrote a childhood memoir, which I called Odd Boy Out. And my wife said, why don't you call it what you really, what it should be called? I said, oh, what do you think my autobiography should be called? She said, it should be called Me, Me, Me. <laughs> it's so hard, isn't it? It is It's hard. so hard. I think human beings, it's such a conflict and we're not perfect. Yeah. We are not perfect and we realise that. And I am making mistakes all the time and we can pull each other over the wall. I think you're a fascinating phenomenon, actually. Because you're managing to have it all. I wouldn't say have no, it all. Well, no, I think you're working to have it all because when you were a child, you didn't have it all. You came from a home that, though it was happy in many ways, ultimately was broken. You felt a bit of a loner at school. You didn't have a proper relationship with a boy until you were about 19, which is unusual. I'm just picking yeah. up on the pieces. And yet now, it's all, it's all going to come right. You became world famous because of the Spice Girls. You met these amazing people. You decided, actually, I was rather good as an actress. I was rather good. I learned from Stanislavski and Shakespeare, and I'm going to put that to good use. And now you're writing, and you're putting your own story into Rosie Frost, clearly. And it's working. And you always wanted to be liked, and you always wanted to please, and you are liked. 
and you do please. Oh, that's very kind of you. But you know what this, you know, for anyone's listening, what it's taught me is we all have different chapters in our life. We don't have to, we can, we can th- like bloom at any time. It doesn't happen. Well, I, I think it was, I don't know what it was. Maybe in my four, 40s, I started feeling a little bit more grounded confidence, you know, through experience. And then letting go of being liked. I know that not not everyone likes me. That's okay. You know, some let go of that. Okay, F- you're allowed to follow your dreams at any age. L- at least give them a chance. L- give them a, you know, get, let's have a crack at them, even if it doesn't go as you hope. We don't have to wither. If you look at seasons, you know, this can this can be another season. Well, the next season's going to be very exciting. Will it include a reunion of the Spice Girls? Is that ever going to happen again? Do you know again? what? Does that matter? I'm really grateful for what we've done. I really, really am. And I get asked this question so much. And if it felt right... You don't rule it out, but you're yeah, not Yeah, for, for me, it. yeah. I'm, I, I'm, I love seeing the girls and I'm really grateful to the fans. It'll always be there, that sort of that feeling but, but I don't yeah, it needs to feel if it, if it felt right good well it's felt very right being with you thank you it felt lovely being with well, you well it's wonderful being with you I, I'm hoping your next ambition is to come back and do another rosebud uh, another <laughs> day a rosebud we, can we talk about rosebud let's just quickly because okay, people okay. don't realise this okay, then, so, what does rosebud mean to you as a name when okay, I asked you so to do this it was really interesting because when I saw the name rosebud it, one thing flashed in my mind. It was the name of the sledge in Citizen Kane. And then of, there is another connotation, what Rosebud means. It was a nickname for something else. That was a little bit... An intimate. An intimate. A female intimate private part. Yeah. I, I read that. I was like, oh, my God. And I don't think anybody knew that. I certainly didn't know I that. think he slipped it in there right at the end of the movie. And apparently in the gay world... There's another meaning for it as well. What which, does it mean? Which, which, well, I don't know what that I'm going to go and research that now. It, okay, It's an some, area that I have not explored I myself. I don't know that either. But we'll send the listeners. <laughs> yeah, okay, I don't know what so that you'll, means. You'll find there's more to Rosebud than meets the eye. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry Halliwell Horner on Rosebud and now on a postage stamp. Amazing. Time to dip into the mailbag, and thanks for keeping in touch with Rosebud, sharing some of your early memories. We've heard from Phyllis Maiden in Lincolnshire. I'm writing from a minority part of the population, as I was placed in an orphanage when I was only nine months old. I went back to my parents for fleeting times, and was then moved to a second orphanage when I was four. From the age of five, I was fostered on a farm in Shropshire. Despite being so young, I do have memories from the orphanage. At the back of the first orphanage was a concrete yard where I remember riding on a little metal tricycle. I also remember crying when my mother visited. From my second orphanage, I've always had an image of being in a cart and looking between two donkey's ears as we went along. About 20 years ago, I talked about this on Radio Shropshire. A lady heard me and verified that, indeed, a man called Tom used to come to the orphanage with a donkey and cart and take the children out for a ride. I even found a photograph of the donkey and cart on a historical society website. I'm probably the only person who has lived in a Nissen hut, a small stately home 
a workhouse and Elizabethan farmhouse. What a remarkable story, Phyllis Maiden. I look forward to reading your autobiography in the fullness of time. Thank you for sharing your Rosebud Recollections. Bye. Thanks so much for listening and see you again soon. Rosebud is produced by Harriet Jane, artwork by Freya Betts, and music by Phil Leppard. <laughs>